Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the Merchant Sales Podcast. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. First, talking to Josh from Gorilla Technologies about the transition that he made from a focus on merchant services to a focus on technology and actually ended up creating a technology company from that. So very insightful interview. Then Patty is going to share a report that Paysafe put out recently with some stats on consumer purchasing behavior uh, you know, in, in kind of after COVID-19 as things are starting to open up and how they've changed their payment preferences. Very, very interesting stuff there. Um, and then I answer a question from the field. Uh, an agent asked me, what do you do when the merchant refuses to give you a statement until you share your fees first? Then they want to give you the statement. What do you do in that situation? How do you move forward with that sales process? So got a great episode lined up for you. I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much again for listening. All right, everybody. I am here today. Uh, Patty and I are here with Josh Carper, who is business development head over at Gorilla Technologies. How are you doing today, Josh? Good. Awesome. Thanks for having me. For sure. So well, thanks for being here. Yeah. So um, Josh and I are going to talk today about this kind of transition from a focus on merchant services to more of a focus on technology. Um, and so, Josh, I, the reason I designed, you know, the kind of the questions the way I did is your story was so interesting to me and kind of you, you have a very unique path, I think, in the industry. Um, you started out the way a lot of them do, but I think it's a little bit unique the way it developed. So can you start off with that? Tell us about how you got into the industry and then kind of how you developed into what you're doing now. Yeah, so I started in the industry guess, seven or eight years ago just selling credit cards. So I finished school, uh, got a corporate job. It was climbing the corporate ladder and and just it wasn't for me. So I got out and the first thing I stepped into was selling credit cards. So uh-huh. <laughs> I was out knocking on doors with no income, left my nice, you know, salary and, and benefits and had no income. So it was a little scary, but, um, you know, it all worked out. So I uh, I had some experience, uh, you know, I bartended and, and waited tables through high sure. school and in college. So I knew about restaurants. Um, I didn't, you know, but so, I mean, I, that, that was why I I kind of focused on that vertical. Uh, so I, I sold, I just went door to door. I would get list of, of, um, uh, places that were opening, um, and just went around and called on places. Um, and through that, I got kind of, uh, you know, it can get, old after a while, just talking about the numbers, I understood the numbers and sure. I understood how to, to sell a credit card account, had some moderate success with it, but I really enjoyed talking because through that process, I had to sell POS to a, to a certain extent if sure. I wanted to get the credit card account. And uh, here I am writing checks to, uh, you know, the Aldello reps and buying uh data cap and different you know gateway fees just to get the accounts so sure uh, i started getting into and i got into an ios uh which was probably one of the easier ones to step into in the pos market and just started installing it right um it was more of a so i started a, a, a different company for that and it was more of a hobby than anything else and um and uh so one thing led to another people kept calling back and, uh, sure. opening new locations and calling us. So 
it kind sure. of developed into a company after a while. There's so many things about that, uh, you know, what you just said are, are interesting. So when when you first got into the industry, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is you went after the restaurants because that was kind of your background. You'd had experience in, in that vertical, right? Yeah. Well, and I quickly found that uh, they're also profitable. <laughs> yeah, there's another good reason. <laughs> uh, because I, you know, I was initially, um, I was just going, so I would go call in a restaurant and they would most usually are within a mall or something. There's a nail salon, there's a retail store, there's something else there. So I would walk right. in and call on them. Um, so I got a, at one point I had a chain of uh, car washes. And what, what I found out is when I went outside my vertical, I made less money because I right. spent so much time figuring out. Right. It, specifically the car washes, figuring out fleet cars and how to set those things up correctly. And I just, you know, in the going after it, it just worked out better for me to go after a vertical and just stick within that vertical. It's, it's such a good point, you know, because there's there's so much lost opportunity cost, you know, when you're you're going after, you know, you're trying to sell everybody and you're not very good at selling anybody. Um, right. You know, mm -hmm. you, you have a lot of lost opportunity costs. So then the other thing that's interesting to me, though, is you talked about that transition of, you know, you're focused on talking about savings and, you know, I would imagine analyzing statements and things like that. Sure. You know, what what was it about that first kind of year or so in the business where you're like, you know, I, I really did you see the future of it? Like I need to be selling, focusing more on POS. What was it that kind of made you make that shift that, frankly, a lot of other agents are having a tough time making? Um, I mean, it was it was a natural shift because, I mean, I just have a natural love of the technology. And, and sure. also I like kind of getting in there with the client and um you know, I don't just sell it and, and leave. I like following up and seeing how things are going. Sure. But, you know, I mean, we all know now that uh, we may have not known seven, eight years ago. That's or quite clearly or how tightly integrated processing and uh, software was going to be. But uh, I mean, now you 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 have to be. You right. Know? Um, right. So, I mean, for me, it was just natural uh, transition and I enjoyed it more. So I sold more, I was more successful with it. Right. Uh, right. Me going out and walking in and selling, um, processing was, was a grind every day. Hmm. Um, and it was more of a love to go in and, and talk about the, the details of their business and how we sure. might be able to help or solve problems. You know, one of the interesting things that I talk a lot about that, uh, I just would like to get your opinion about is, you know, for me, my success outselling uh, credit card processing and, and then specifically technology is that I actually really like business. You know, like I sure. really enjoy like going to a small business and you're like, you know, what kind of marketing are you doing? How, what's operations like? How many employees do you have? You know, how do you organize your shifts? How do you, you know what I mean? Like I like business. I really like talking about it, reading about it. You know, I, I'm like a QuickBooks certified professional, all that stuff. Do you feel like that, does that play a role into it? You know, whatever it is for you, like, is there that love of like, you just enjoy talking to them about their business. And so then the POS is kind of like more integrated into those processes. Most definitely now more so than then. I mean, now I have employees and a business to run back then I was just starting, you know? Right. So right. I could only, it was theoretical. I didn't really quite understand what they went through on a daily basis. Sure. Now I, I understand. Right. Um, so I do, I do love I, I like having those conversations with, with other business owners. Right. Uh, it just happens to be with, uh, with restaurants, but I think it's, we all share a, a common, uh, there's a common challenges and sure. issues that we face. Sure. 
Yeah. So, okay. So you're, you know, you're selling credit card processing. Then you're like, okay, wait a second. I could sell technology. You're targeting restaurants. At some yeah. point in that process, you, you realized there's a business here, not just a job. Right. Yeah. And, and right. I'm going to, I want to start a technology company, you know, like yeah. walk me through that transition. What was it in your mind that was like, you know, I think there's maybe more here. Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever it was a full-time job and I was no longer doing sales, uh, I was just answering my phone and email. <laughs> so sure. at that point I knew like we had something here and we needed to, uh, go after it. So, um, I had uh, a friend that had experience, uh, was working for a, a chain of restaurants as an IT director. We partnered up and uh, started to started to go after it. And that's when we uh, rebranded uh, from the company I didn't, you know, I never expected to be anything to uh, to Gorilla Technologies. Sure, so. sure. And what what's the timeline on that? How how long ago? Yeah. You know, how long ago did you hire your first employee? And you know what I mean, like. Uh, yeah, that was, it took a while, man. Um, maybe it was just slow for me. I, I feel like I, I, I have other friends that have started similar businesses that have moved quicker, but it, it's, it's been a grind. So um, we started, or I started JRL Systems in 2014, I think. Okay. Um, and I, I, I did that more so as like a hobby. I didn't really push to grow. It just, right. just kind of naturally grew. Um, and then we started Gorilla Technologies, I guess, about two years later. Okay. Um, all right. So it took about two years until I knew, all right, well, you know, we, we got already doing it full time. Somebody else. I need help. Right. Um, right. Right. So, um, yeah, so I guess about two years before, you know, we, we have more people. Hmm. So and we've slowly grown since. You know, I think it's so interesting, you know, the best businesses tend to be started, like you just said, this, this idea of, you know, we had so much demand that we didn't have the supply, you know, and so we're yeah. hiring people for the supply. Um, and I think a lot of agents, they, they do it the other way. And so they go, you know, oh, not much is happening. You know, I'm not making very much money. I'm not very good at this. Maybe I should hire someone. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> no, no, no. Like you go be good at it. Right. And, and so I think there's that side of it. But, you know, when you look at the momentum that you you were able to build, so you, you know, you got to the point where a lot of our listeners would love to be at, which is I don't even have time to sell. I have so many clients. I have so much business. You know, what, what do you attribute that momentum to and that success to that, that you were able to get from starting from scratch in the industry to a point where you have more business than you knew what to do with? Yeah, I think as you, I mean, initial, I mean, responsiveness, I think was a big one. I mean, sure. we're competing with larger companies that aren't quite as flexible or, or responsive. I've always been creative with solutions, uh, especially when it comes to point of sale um, you know, when we partner as a dealer, the last thing the software developer wants is a new dealer coming back asking for with de dev requests constantly. They, they're constantly want a new feature or function right. to deal with something that the restaurant wants. You know, a lot of times what they think they want is, is, is something, you know, it's, it's not what they want. Uh, right. If we just right. sit down and talk to them. Sometimes the solution isn't even within the software. It might be an operational procedure on their part. So I think our success came from uh, just being responsive and in front of them too. I mean, most of our business is local. So sure. uh, the way I got most of my business was participating in, in leads groups, or I would 
drive by places until I found them and yeah. talk to them in person. What about what about the specific technology, Josh? I'm just wondering. I mean, how do how did you go through the process of determining, you know, what was the right, uh, you know, POS system for you to be offering? Yeah. So when Matt and I started Gorilla Technologies, we wanted to keep uh, we wanted to keep something that was feature rich enough that could replace something like, and I'll bust out Aloha or Micros or something like this. Typical systems that people were on and been on for years out there. Right. But but move it to the cloud. Okay. So, so, I mean, essentially we wanted it in the cloud, but the problem with cloud in 2014, 2015, is there just weren't many good options. We would go we would go to replace one of these larger systems and they would have a list of features that we just couldn't meet. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest challenge. Um, but uh, I mean, so it, it, in a nutshell, I mean, it was really just moving restaurants to the cloud and more innovative technology, you know, uh, solutions. Do you, finding the solutions that would work in the cloud and, and right. the right. cloud solutions that have been developed were, were developed not specifically for restaurants and right. they, they just didn't right. have enough features and functions to replace a you know a, mm-hmm. just even small restaurant sure just out of curiosity josh where are you guys at now in terms of you know i'm just is this technology that you're using now is this like you finally found some vendors that have what you want or you've built out what you want yeah. like is so, this your tech or what's the deal there yeah so we haven't developed we've done some development um, to like expand something that, that already was, exists. That was just a, a love as well and a lot of YouTubing. So sure. we have plugged, so, you know, we've plugged some stuff into others, but largely we, we, we are, we're, we're a sales engine for, right. uh, for software companies. So sure. um, we, uh, so we have two main products right now that we're, that we're dealing um, and both are cloud. So one is us. Uh, we were a dealer for a POS system called Imagine POS, which was then acquired by Spot On. Oh, okay. Um, that's our number one product currently. Okay. Um, we've had great success with it, and they're phenomenal partners. And what we found, you fast forward to now, uh, there's a lot of solutions for the merchants out there. There's not many solutions for dealers. Right. What I mean by that is there just aren't many good deals for dealers out there. Yeah. If you're wanting to, to start a company such as this, uh, you just there's not many options. Um, sure, you know. So a, as a as a merchant, there's a lot of places selling direct, such as Toast is probably the most common. Right. Um, but there's no dealer model for the for, for those products. Right. Of course. Yeah. They want to go. They, and it's it's interesting to me how it seems like that whole ISV marketplace to some extent feels like the idea of direct sales is like, you know, especially direct sales, the, the model our industry has, they just feel like that's not a viable model. We're just going to go direct to, to the business. But the irony is, you know, if you've, if you've ever actually competed with toast locally, it's not that hard <laughs> like no, not. because they don't have a presence and they don't have a footprint. Well, the most difficult thing is that they're probably in a contract. So right. I, right. That's what we found, but otherwise they went out. Yeah. They all, most of them went out. <laughs> right. Well, I, and I think it goes to this whole concept that these technology companies are making amazing technology and then they're, they have no kind of process to show the merchant how to leverage it. Right. 
yeah. then most of these restaurant owners, it's like, here's toast. It's amazing. It'll do anything you want. Go figure it out. Right. Yeah. Because it's they're technology guys and they don't think beyond the technology. They don't think in terms of the specific business needs. Well, Toast has become this big company. And we, so we had a meeting yesterday. So in uh, this this restaurant owner's experience is common when we talk to them is that, I mean, she's a medium size. She does good volume. She's a very profitable client for any of us looking for a processing account. Um, but for Toast, she just has a, a rep assigned to her. Who knows how long that rep has been employed right. or whether they have any restaurant experience. So right. when she calls in, her specific issue was about KDF kitchen displays, but you know, he didn't have any idea how to help her and right. he's trying to do it remotely. Right. So here you have a phenomenal merchant that we would gladly go out and take care of them in person. Right. Mm -hmm. Now is locked into this contract and having to deal over the phone with someone who, you know, doesn't know how our business operates. Are these contracts, uh, I, I've actually, you know, I've competed against Toast in terms of like somebody was considering them but I've mm -hmm. never done the switch over. Like when you yeah. say their contracts are, you know, a, a barrier, what are we talking about? Is it because it's some liquidated damages thing or is it like uh, what, what is it? Why is it so hard to get out of the contracts? I don't know how, what algorithm or how they calculate it, but it's, I, I believe essentially whatever, whatever profit they're going to yeah. make throughout the term of that, which is usually pretty large. So liquidated wow. damages is what, yeah. And it's yeah. like a, it's like, you know, 20 grand or something to get out of it. Right. Yeah. Wow. I've heard 20, 15, 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this, the, yeah. So, I mean, the, the one we met with yesterday, I believe had uh, like 24, 23 months left. Sure. Just so wow. one, one last kind of off the wall question for you. I was just thinking about, I'm just wondering, have you guys ever experimented with in situations like that where you can't flip the merchant, but you know, they're having a terrible experience. Have you, have you ever experimented with the concept of, you know, going ahead and providing them with service, like just technical service on their current system with the idea that in two years you're going to switch them or, or is it, is that not worth it? Is it like, no, we just wait and come back in two years when their contract's up? Yeah, absolutely. We've done manage. In fact, we've done managed services for Aloha. I mean, we're not a we're not a Aloha dealer, but we understand right um, how networks work and uh, how to improve sure. their system. Um, and you know, the thing about point of sale is it, it may take a little while to learn one, but once you know one in a, a specific platform, so a legacy mm -hmm. type system, you can dial into another one pretty quickly. Yeah, sure. A lot of the cloud-based systems work very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, we've done some ma managed services and just build on a monthly basis. We've also, especially with all the COVID stuff going on, um, we've all taken hits. We've been fortunate that we had some equipment on the shelves and we've had good partnerships. So we've actually given some systems away hmm. um, to people that need them. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, we've it, in my experience, it's always resulted in uh, a net positive for us. Sure. Whenever we're able, if we're able to, we help somebody out, whether yep. it's time or even uh, hardware. Right. Yeah. I think that's just so important. And I think a lot of agents, um, you know, miss the boat on that. Um, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're too focused on, you know, it's like, well, I have to have the payment processing account today. Well, no, you don't actually like, why do you want the payment processing account? Well, cause I want to make $150 a month. Okay. Yeah. So charge them $150 a month to help them with their system. Yeah. You know, and then 
they're still going to be paying that in two years. And then you're going to get the other 150 a month when you get the processing. Right. You know, so it's, I, I've always, I was always a big believer in that. I'm like you, as far as, I think we actually have very similar paths as far as the, you know, starting the company and stuff, you know, because for me, when I had my own local ISO, I was very technology focused. And, you know, what I realized is that these business owners had no idea what they were doing and yeah. they were very much willing to pay me to figure it out. You yeah. know, and I was willing to take the money. So it worked out great, you know? Yeah, we've we've tried to be careful. So one of the mistakes that we did make early on is we wanted to be um, an all-in-one resource. And you just have to be careful Yeah. Um, because you get into too many things. We were doing yep. menu builds, uh, like, like printing, printing the menus, logo design, Facebook and social media management, right. website design. We were... So over the, we, what I have learned is we, we have partners now that we just kind of yeah. outsource that to. Yep. So that, again, we can stay within our lane and be experts in that. Right. Okay. So I lied. I have one more question for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this is a very open-ended question, but you know, kind of coming back to the purpose of this particular podcast episode is this transition from a focus on merchant sales, uh, merchant services sales to a focus on technology where obviously payment processing is still a piece of that. You guys have everything integrated, you know, you still have that, but it's, a, it's not the focus, you know, for those agents and ISOs that are listening right now that literally for the last 18 months, they've gotten up every day and said, I know that I need to make this shift right? But they haven't yet. They're still just selling payment processing and they don't really, you know, do you have any, any one or two or three, like what's a tip that you would give them to say, like, it's time to make the transition. What, what should they do? What's the tip that you could help them with? Uh, I mean, I think that they, I would partner with someone, you know, there's different personality type and whatever you lean towards. I think if you're more tech savvy than, and you, you enjoy that, then I would lean into it. Sure. If you are, more into, you know, making the sell and moving to, which is okay, moving to the next account and then partner with somebody who will nurture your accounts behind you. Huh. Um, so, and, and the thing about the way that the POS and the, a lot of these technology companies work in our specific verticals is they may have different reputations in different areas. So depending on what dealer is servicing them. So find somebody that has a solid reputation sure. and, uh, and partner with them. Great and advice. you may take, you know, it's worth it. So you, you may, uh, I mean, you, there's only so much money to go around, right? So, or get creative with how everybody makes money, but uh, you may make a little less. You may have to share a piece of that pie, but um, right. you know, it's a pie you otherwise wouldn't have. Well, yeah. And, and, and too, you know, lifetime value is so crucial. It's something I wish our industry talked more about. You know, it's like, why well, this account that pays a hundred, you know, I, I make a hundred dollars a month on this account. Well, yeah, but that account has, you know, a, a shelf life of about 30 months, right? Right. So mm -hmm. your lifetime value on that account is three grand. Mm -hmm. Well, or you have this other account that's $50 a month, but the average shelf life there is 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what do you want? You know, well, obviously lifetime value is better. So I think you got to be, you know, smart about financially, not just, you know, what's the, what's the monthly income, but how long is that monthly income going to last? Right. You know, if you find a good technology partnership, I mean, these people are getting your POS systems. I mean, they're not going to switch that for <laughs> a decade, probably, you know, yeah, they're, they're sticky so. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Josh, great information. Um, I know some of our listeners, I know you're not, you know, uh, you guys aren't a huge national company or anything. Um, so not right. looking for all these big partnerships, but we may have some people interested in learning more about Gorilla Technologies and what you do. Uh, where would you send them to learn more? To our website. It's at uh, www.gogorillatech.com. 
Okay. Um, or if you want more information, you feel welcome to email me directly, Josh at GoGorillaTech.com. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Josh, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. Really good stuff. Thanks, Josh. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, so James, you know, PaySafe does a lot of consumer research, uh, some of which uh, I've reported on in the past. This week, I'd like to offer some insights from a report that they just issued on how COVID-19 is affecting consumer payments. Okay. You know, this is something we've talked about in the past and some of these data points we've talked about, but it's really interesting to see, you know, consumer research that sure. sort of bears out some of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the survey itself was uh, global. What I did is I broke out the numbers for the U.S. because I didn't really think the global stuff was that pertinent to our people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's about five points. The first is that um, the surge in e-commerce that was brought on by stay-at-home orders is going to have long-term consequences. And, you know, sort of bearing witness to that, 25% of consumers say they started shopping online for the first time since the pandemic began that kind of surprised wow. me i have to say you know i thought everybody was shopping i know i didn't online. know there was 25 percent left <laughs> right exactly that was my feeling but it's uh that's a pretty significant share um and among the old pros like you and me uh 42 percent say they're shopping online more which i can attest to and i know you can attest oh for to. sure yep you know uh, although 30, I was, although I was already just about a hundred percent online. So, you know, it wasn't much more for me. To... Talk about, we <laughs> talked about that. And it's uh, funny because I am so much online. I, I, people laugh at me, but you know, we've talked about this in the <laughs> past. I, I live out in the country and I don't go get in my car and go out every day. Right. Right. So sometimes right. it's easier for me just to go on Amazon and order paper yeah. towels. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, and I, you know, I always say I support every local business that has a website. That's right. So That's if right. you if I yeah. can buy stuff from you online, I will support you. But this is 2020. This is not 20. Uh, you know, this is not 2001. So if you want me well, to shop you know, with you, I gotta have yeah. a website. <laughs> and the other thing, I know I was talking to a friend the other day. I went online. I was looking for you know extra masks, right? Right. And I wear glasses, as everybody knows, um, as you can see. Um, and when you wear glasses, a mask can be a real pain in the butt because your glasses fall. Sure. Fine. Sure. Well, I was tooling around online one day. I found this little vacuum cleaner shop in Kansas, of all places, that had retooled to make fast face masks for people who wear glasses. Wow. And I'm like, way to go, you know? I mean, That's this is a great. small store, you know, out it. in middle right. America. And I'm like, you know, good on you. I'm going to buy face masks from you. Yeah, right? I, I love mean, it. Yeah, I love it. And it's like, I, I also just love the idea that somebody was quick enough on their feet to make that transition. Oh, absolutely. To me, that, you know, and that's business. And I think, uh, you know, I'll go off on my, on just a little rant for a second because, sure. you know, to me, 
you know, I get it. I know that these are really, really difficult times and a lot of businesses. I mean, if you're in the entertainment industry or something, you know, wow, I right? mean, yeah. you know, so I, I get it. And I'm not trying to, to minimize that, of course. But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're in business and that includes those that are independent salespeople, you know, if you're in business, then it's a it's it's to some extent a game. Um, mm-hmm. And in any game, there's competition, which means there are winners and there are losers. And if you are like, you know, I'm really good at business. If you're really good at business, then that means you find those transition points. Exactly. And you you make those. You're always thinking about it, right? Always. And you're, and you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to make it happen. And, and ironically, it's times like these where, I mean, I'll, you know, be really transparent and I probably shouldn't share this on here, but, um, you know, our company in the month of May was the most profitable month my company has ever had. Wow. Um, and part of that was payroll protection program that we didn't need. Right. <laughs> right. But, but what the heck? <laughs> right. I'm not going to turn it down. Um, but also a big part of it was, you know, we rolled out our huge sales training push on how right. to sell over the phone mm-hmm. because I yeah. recognize I'm a sales trainer. So that means now I had to cancel three paid consulting trips where I was going places and getting paid thousands of dollars to do an in-person mm-hmm. event that all got canceled. So right. I could sit sit back and say, "Oh man, well I just can't make good money this month." No, you know what? Everybody's Find sitting at way. home. You got to pivot. So I'll, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn there. I'm just saying in business, that's what it means. Like when you're mm-hmm. like, "I'm a I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a businessman. I'm a businesswoman." You know, if you really are, then that's what it means. It means that when things get tough, you know how to make a pivot and you know how to still make money because that's what business is all about. That's what so, it's all about. There's my little yeah. rant. So sorry. Now you can go back to your data. <laughs> and actually, that kind of goes to what I wanted yeah. to say next, which was pay, pay safe's comment on this e- e-commerce trend. And that is, you know, uh, businesses that recognize and capitalize on the surge, you know, in demand for online products and services and do so by offering convenient and efficient processes are not going to only boost revenues in the short term, but they're going to position themselves long term, you right. know, because right. you know, whether it's this and, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, are saying this will come back, you know, the pandemic is going to have another surge and, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. People are changing, the, you know, right. and, and, and businesses need to change with them. And e-commerce is definitely an important part of that. Yep, for sure. Um, so another thing, and this was interesting, um, you know, credit cards do remain the preferred way to shop online with about 56%, followed, which I thought was interesting, followed closely by debit cards at 50%. Sure. But consumers are open to alternatives. And nearly two-thirds said they had used a new to them online payment method for the first time during you know, further pandemic shopping. Hmm, really? And yeah, and uh, digital wallets was one. Okay. Debit cards was another because let's face it, most people like to use their credit cards online because of the protection. Sure. But the one I thought was interesting was eCash. What's eCash? And I'm not quite sure how that works, but I know how it used to work. Okay. It used to work that you could go in, there were some companies that would have these programs where you could go into like a 7-Eleven, hand them cash, and they would give you an e-voucher, which you could then use to pay for something online. So kind of like a prepaid card almost. Kind of like a prepaid card. Hmm, interesting. And I wonder I wonder if that also includes things like um 
you know, cash back rewards type, um, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder, does yeah, that, sure. does, like, does that like, include like, like rewards money, right? Yeah, or yeah. like a company's own kind of system, you know, uh, uh, pro, you know, because, because I have to wonder, you know, something like eCash or whatever, depending on how that's structured, I mean, is that something that you could use on any e-commerce website or is that like a separate type of payment? I think you have to have it as a separate type of yeah, payment for that, that e-commerce provider. Right, right. And, and again, yeah. I, I, I tried to do a little research on this and I it didn't, it wasn't real clear to me. Yeah, that it was much different than the way it used to be, which sure. means you still have to go hand your cash to somebody. Right, 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 and then either get a card or 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 an authorization code or something like that. Sure. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, it is interesting, you know, the idea that people are like, okay, I'm going to be shopping more online. I need, you know, to have some alternatives, like I do when I shop in person. Right. Okay, the third point, nine out of 10 consumers have changed how they prioritize what methods they choose for making payments. Hmm. Now, you know, since most of the shopping is being done online, it's probably come to little surprise that concerns about fraud and security are the most salient, right? Hmm. Yeah. You know, they want a, a card that gives them fraud protection and they want to make sure that their data is protected. For me, that means I'll be honest, I like to use Google, my Google account or my PayPal account, because I know they have my credit card, but maybe not that little merchant out in Kansas, right? Sure. Uh, so there's that. But um, also RANs include cost, obviously. Right. Uh, ease of use and speed of completion. Hmm. Uh, you know, if you have to enter in, that's again, it goes to my PayPal or my Google account. If I have to enter in a lot of information, that's a pain in the in the in the butt, right? Yep. But if the information's all there, I'm going to use that. I think that's kind of like where digital wallets come in into play as well. Sure. Um, sure. Number four is a really interesting one. Consumers are conflicted about cash, but it still remains central to spending plans. Forty-seven huh. percent uh, said they would use uh, cash even to make an online purchase if they could figure out how to do it. Um, which kind of goes to what you and I were just saying, right? Yeah, right. And um, and forty three percent said they'd they'd pay more online. Uh, you know, they'd shop online if you know cash was an option. But by the same token, they seem to be of two minds. There's still sort of that concern that is cash cash really safe? Do I yeah. really want to be handing those bills and coins? You right. know, right. Uh, I have a little thing going on where. You know, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I, I, I'm of a generation. I still carry cash. Mm -hmm. But now when I go to a store, uh, particularly I'll use it when I go to uh, get a sandwich or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, I always tell them to put the, the coins in the chip jar. Sure. Yeah. It's like right? that, that extra, that extra <laughs> little bit of germs that you don't want to get, I you know, just don't want to touch that. You already got it. Just put it in your tip jar. Right. right. Or that's funny. In McDonald's. You can, you know, they have that little thing where you can put the money in to right. just throw it in that little thing for the cancer society. Right. right? right. Yep. Uh, hmm. Yeah. It just sort of, just sort of gives me a little bit more protection. I'll take that five back, but you can put those three quarters in there. Right. Right. Um, right. So, uh, and then the final point is something we've been talking about in the past, of course, and, um, you know, but it is nice to get, get this reinforced, uh, is that uh, contactless. You know, sure. contactless is, this is the catalyst. This has been a catalyst yes, for, sure. for contactless adoption. 69%, hmm. uh, nearly 7 out of 10, said contactless payments are the most convenient way 
and they're even more convenient than cash. What was that percentage again? 69. Wow, really? So seven out of 10 people in the U.S. say contactless wow. payments are more convenient than cash. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Now, that doesn't say that the seven... Doesn't you know, mean they're acting 69 percent are actually acting on it right but there's certainly thinking that belief about is there it. though hmm, that's yeah. interesting yeah, yeah i thought that was very telling huh and and you know it's interesting i did do um i did a story that i just uh filed with the green sheet that's going to post i guess uh later this month on sort of changing payment habits and i i uh asked a couple of um uh, people you know went out to a couple of uh processors and Fiserv told me that contactless payments at its install base of Clover terminals were up 13% from March through May. Wow. That's, that's huge. A, that's a significant increase for two months, it three is. months maybe, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then just to sort of go along with that, um, that, that first stat, uh, nearly 6 in 10, 59%, said they like the notion of contactless payments more now than they did a year ago. Hmm. So wow. I think that kind of goes to the what we've been saying. Yeah. This is the catalyst. Yeah, I think that it sounds like the minds have been changed. Now, if the habits will change, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see right? what happens. <laughs> but I mean, I think, you yeah. know, we've said this before. It's, it's sort of like, uh, in fact, actually, in my story, I had a quote from, um, again, it was somebody either, I think it was somebody at Visa, who said, uh, it's like muscle power, right? Mm. Like you build a muscle. Mm -hmm. And if you keep using contactless now, right. it just kind of gets reinforced. Yeah, it's like that muscle memory where you're not going to forget about it. So You're not going to forget yeah. about it. Yeah. I did try and I wasn't able. I was really interested in seeing if either of any of the people I talked to uh, could break out contactless cards versus mobile devices. And they don't seem to be able to yeah. break that out. Yeah, I haven't so. seen any data on that. That would be really interesting to see, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even asked a couple of ISOs that I that I talked with, and you right. know they had stats that were very similar to to Pfizer's. Sure. And they were all like, "No, we we just don't have the capability to. Just, it's a contactless payment. That's all it is." Right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, they probably wouldn't even know actually because it would come through the same. Hmm, that's right. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, good stuff, Patty. Very interesting. Yeah. Thanks, James. This is questions from the field, brought to you by CCSalesPro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. All right, Patty. So here is our question for today's questions in the field. It comes from Eli. Uh, he asks, there is a common objection that I don't think you've ever spoken about. What do I do if I approach a merchant and I ask him for his statement and he says, you tell me your best rate. I'm not going to give out my statement. He says, is that a lost cause? Eli, it is definitely not a lost cause. In fact, um, I actually would call that a buyer sign. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would much rather somebody say, you tell me your rate, you know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. I'd much rather them say that than I'm not interested. So right. that's right. actually a, a really good buyer sign. And so one thing I always, you know, try to do in sales is I try to find ways that I can agree 
with the prospect. Um, you know, I look at it as you know whatever the the prospect is saying. You know, if you look at it almost like a kind of like a you know a river that you're getting into, and you want to you want to go in this river, you can mm-hmm. paddle upstream if you want. That right. would be disagreeing with the merchant, uh, right. or you can paddle downstream. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, you're going to do a little better paddling downstream, a little easier. Uh, always, I, <laughs> right? I've done a lot of canoeing. I always like the yes. downstream part. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I would do in a specific situation, Eli. So when the merchant says, you know, basically you get to that point and you're like, hey, I'd love to do a cost analysis for you. Um, you know, do you have a statement I can take a look at? And they say, well, you know, I don't want to show you my statement. So you have to understand their mentality. That's the key. Why are they saying that? Well, the reason they're saying that is because. They've had processors in the past where they've given them a statement and the processor always seems to come back with about $50 a month in savings. And so they're like, well, I don't know if they gave me the best rate or not. They just looked at my statement. They took it down Mm -hmm. a little bit. Okay. So what I do in that situation is I say, of course, that's totally fair. I would love to do that. So let me just clarify, you know, Susan, what you're saying is if I can give you a written document with our best offer on it, you would then be willing to show me a statement so I can show you what that pricing would look like in terms of dollar savings when compared to your current pricing. Basically, if I'm willing to show you what I'm going to offer, you're saying that you'd reciprocate and allow me to take a look at the fee section of your statement. Is that right? So usually by agreeing to them, you're actually going to throw them off a little bit. They were probably expecting you to say, well, I I have to see your statement first, you know? Right, sure. Um, So then you'd say, well, what rates do I show them? Well, here's the great part about it. It doesn't really matter that much because you're showing them the rates. They have no idea. (laughs) Right. They don't know what those rates mean. You know, you price them on Interchange Plus and you're like, well, here it is right here. You know, it's Interchange Plus, you know, 30 basis points and seven cents with a 9.95 PCI fee. And they're like, okay. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, good. Now let me see your statement. (laughs) So, So the good news is, you know, here's here's where this this path leads you when you're actually selling the merchant. So what you want to do is you want to give them a rate that's very competitive. I mean, for me, when I was selling, I actually had certain rates already predetermined based on um, the size, you know, of the merchant, the volume of the merchant. So okay. I knew I would price them at forty and eight if they were ten thousand or below. Um, if they were ten thousand to twenty five thousand, I usually priced them at twenty five and five. Um, if they were, you know, so I had all my levels, so I had these memorized. So if you kind of know generally how you would price. Usually with experience, you're going to be able to look at a merchant and kind of tell where they're at, you know? Mm -hmm. So you go Mm -hmm. on the safe side of that. And what you do is bring with you some pre-printed pricing sheets, you know, that have this information on it. You could use something like getisoamp.com, which, you know, I'm not biased at all. I just happen to own the company, Um, (laughs) but it's great for this. Uh, But you can print out some proposals, you know, um, showing some examples and some pricing things. Um, And then you have those ready and you hand it to them. So then what will happen next is you say, okay, great. Well, um, I actually have it right here. Let me show you what it is. And you pull it out and say, uh, okay, so let let me show you this. So here's our best rate for your type of business. We would do interchange plus 40 basis points and seven cents. Um, now, as far as the net effect of you know the, the dollar amount, like I said, obviously, we still need to see the statement. But now, you know, I'm not just like playing a game with you. Mm-hmm. I am going to price you at these rates. Um, so with that in mind, do you have a statement handy or should I swing back by tomorrow to pick that up? Yeah. So use your alternate advance, get your statement. Then you're like, well, what if I get the statement and they're already priced lower than that? That's even better. Because now what you do is you come back and you say, Wow, I cannot believe it. Your prices are so good right now. They're actually better than my best rate. So I I might not be able to work with you, but here's what I'm going to do. If you could give me one day 
let me talk to my, you know, the manager or however you position it. You know, let me talk to my processing companies I work with. This is definitely below what they would normally do, but let me see if they'll make an exception, you know, to work with you. And as long as I'm able to, if I do this and I go to bat for you and everything, as long as I'm able to save you some money on this, it sounds like you would prefer to work with a local small business owner like myself rather than one of these big companies, right? And they're like, sure. And then, of course, now you can always lower it. So the interesting thing is if you price it and then you have to lower it, you know, for them, it feels like they're getting this amazing price because you already sure. said it was your lowest rate. Right. You know? right. So you have to be careful. You, where, where this gets into trouble is when you go, oh, wow, look at how low those rates are. Well, I'll just drop my rates even lower. <laughs> and they're like, mm. wait a minute. I thought that was your lowest rate. So you yeah. have to be a little careful, but uh, you can absolutely get around that and, and uh, close the sale for sure. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.